Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi there, it's Caroline Foran from Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please do follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. The sooner we all get on board with these measures, the sooner we will be all together again. While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there, welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by Sean McCormick and Chris Woff, and we are heading into the international break, which always is a little bit tedious, isn't it, lads? How, how are we feeling today? A bit frustrated, just the fact that the international break's here. You have a really exciting game in Newcastle against Liverpool in terms of the occasion that it is, and then you have two-week low. I'm not the biggest fan of international football at the best of times, so for me, I find it a little bit disappointing, particularly after I had the feast of the championship last year and almost the famine in terms of games of the Premier League this year. Well, I mean, we'll get on to the, to the national break shortly, and obviously it was Newcastle versus Liverpool. And there was one uh, person in attendance who, you know, no doubt everyone is speaking about, and we will get on to Amanda Staley in just a moment. But first of all, Chris, let's just talk about the performance of Newcastle. Uh, it wasn't the most pretty of dis- prettiest of displays, but it, you know, Benitez set up his team, they did the job, they got the point, which could prove a very valuable point in the end. I think a lot of teams could get hammered by Liverpool this year, if I'm perfectly honest. If you fall behind against them early, the way that they play, I've not seen a team attack with such pace and intensity in a long time. It, it can be frightening at times, and I think that what Rafa did was set up a team perfectly to do that. We have to remember Newcastle, are only that was only their seventh game back in the Premier League. Essentially, ten of the players who finished that game win the team who played in the Championship last year. This is still essentially a Championship side adjusting to the Premier League. And although in most home games you want to see Newcastle be on the front foot a little bit, I think that they would have really struggled to try if they tried to match Liverpool in terms of the way Liverpool try to play. Instead, they made sure that the high press after the game, the, the, the high intensity press, what they did was was try to stifle Liverpool force and wide. And I think apart from about four opportunities that I think of, Liverpool didn't have that many clear cut chances. And Newcastle fell behind and came back into the game, attacking sense. Apart from the Diarmuid chance at the end and the Hosselu goal, which is a wonderful finish, I'm sure he will claim. Um, there wasn't really that much from Newcastle, but at the end of the day, they've got a point against a side who finished in the top four last year. I think that's a bonus. You get anything against the big sides uh, at this stage in terms of re-establishing yourself as a team. I think it's a bonus. You don't want to see them play like that every week. And you'd like to think that over time, they'll develop their game further, so they won't have to do that next time Liverpool comes to St James's Park. But it's all a building process. I mean, I spoke to some of the players after the game in the mix zone and they were physically shattered. That's what Liverpool do to you. One of the players who remained nameless walked across and before he started the interview just said, F and hell, and was, was trying to catch his breath. And this was about 25, 30 minutes after the game. That's what Liverpool can do to you. That's how hard, how hard this team worked to secure that point. And I think it was a good point. 
and Sean, it's fair to say that maybe in a, well, definitely in a probably uh, McLaren and, and Pardew that Newcastle would have probably caved in or under the pressure of Liverpool. And it's great to see their work ethic, it's bodies on the line, it's, you know, working right until the last uh, moment of the game. It's great to see. Of course, yeah. And the one thing under Benitez is that Newcastle have been really, really organised, haven't they? They've been hard to score against, hard to break down. You think back to the two defeats, we forget about the Spurs game because really the Shell Red Car ruined that one. But if you think of the, the Brighton and the Huddersfield game, there's one little moment of lapse of error, lapse in concentration that's cost winning those games, but they'll be hard to break down on the whole. Um, I think the Liverpool game was the first real test, wasn't it? They've been in good form since, since winning against West Ham before the first international break. They've really seen to have turned a corner and they've got well organised, they've got a pretty solid 11 now give or take a couple of players that Rafa has still stuck with so far this season and as Chris says Liverpool are a great counter-attacking side you saw a few times they got in behind the attack with pace and for Newcastle to have withstood that kind of a pressure over 90 minutes just shows how hard they are going to be break down this season that bodes well when you play teams who are going to be the mid-table teams the teams are going to be in the relegation battle they can't score against us Newcastle are going to nick those 1-0 2-1 wins and that's going to be so vital come the end of the season when we start looking at these points that they're already accumulating. And and Chris, obviously, Mikel Mourinho and John Joe Shelby started together for the first time. What, what was your analysis of that? Did it work? Well, I was left a bit red-faced because I'd written a piece last week suggesting that I didn't think <laughs> the two of them would start together. And I think it did come as a surprise to most people. I, didn't, I honestly didn't see it against Liverpool aside who, as I said, Newcastle were always going to be compact against how they do. But Benitez identified something. I think having the two of them did work in the sense that the works. There was a few times where I think they they were exposed. There was a big gap in the middle of the pitch, which Liverpool kept on getting the better of in the first half. But in terms of from an attacking sense, I think that's the one risk Benitez did take, and it worked. When when you had Marino, when you had Shelby, you had an out ball, and as much as Liverpool tried to press quickly, you've got two players then who can distribute. It's more difficult when you've got two distributing in the middle, and eventually Newcastle's goal came from a wonderful pass from John Joe Shelby if, if Shelby hadn't been on the pitch if it had just been Marino if it had just been Shelby I think we wouldn't have necessarily seen that because I don't think that the second playmaker would have been afforded the space because it would have only been one of them so I think we will see it again whether we see it every week I'm not 100% sure I think particularly away from home we're likely to see Hayden come back in but at home games against sides who Newcastle are expected to beat particularly, I can see the two of them. I could even see at some stage Benitez switch into a three in the middle if he thinks that, that his side can, can combat that and have Hayden in there as well and almost give Shelby and Mourinho a bit more of a free roll. But what I liked about the two of them working together is clearly they did adapt their game slightly. They were disciplined. Now, it's translating that from when you play in Liverpool when all the players are up for it to when you play someone else at home who you expect it to beat. They need to maintain his discipline and one of them, when one of them goes, the other one stays. But clearly Benitez believes it's something that can work and I'm pleased to see it because I think we will see a lot more of it going forward. Fantastic. And I mean, obviously, Sean, you know, the, the crowd were the, the 12th man. It's cliche to say, but they were brilliant yet again. And we know we, know we saw the big flag, the big banner, and Rafa, you know, said he was surprised. That when he, obviously, we were all seeing the photographs, so he absolutely loved it. The, um, the message that was given out and we'll get on to the person who obviously was, was, was caught at the actor's box that is obviously Amanda Stavely and let's just say if she was interested in helping someone buy the club then the crowd put on an absolutely wonderful display to show this is Newcastle United and this is what you'd be buying of course I think it was an excellent advert not just from the crowd but the performance as well I mean it was a fantastic game we all come away from it, get from it thinking 
you were you were exhausted watching it, weren't you? Really, it was it was kind of one of those games where it was it, it really really put you through the mill emotionally. Um, but as I say, I think Newcastle put on a great great performance. They were hard to break down. They looked at times that they could even win it. I mean, Diarmé could have scored at the end. They could have nicked all three points. I mean, the fans were fantastic throughout. Um, the singing section's really starting to take hold now in the Gallagher and they're really making a difference. You can hear them every time they're on the TV. The, 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 the atmosphere is slowly creeping back into St James's Park. It's starting to become like it was back about oh, five years ago when they really were getting behind the team. Um, and I think if Amanda Stavely is was at the game looking at some sort of investment, I think it was the perfect advert and I think she can see something that's got real potential there. And I mean, everyone knows Newcastle are a club that... <clears throat> They're kind of like a sleeping giant, aren't they? Everything's there waiting for someone to come in and build that kind of team. You look at Man City, the what's happened there. I mean, obviously, you're not going to get that kind of investment. I mean, it's highly unlikely anyway, but Newcastle, everything's there. The infrastructure's there. You've got a brilliant stadium. You've got a world-class manager. You've got a fan base that follow them home and away. Um, I think, I can't remember the last away game. It wasn't a sellout. I mean, it's incredible support behind them. Everything's there for it to be built upon. Um, and if an investor comes in, then champion. I think it's all there and ready to go. Obviously, uh, Lee Ryder, Mark Douglas have been covering the, the, this story kind of extensively. Um, and this is what uh, Mark Douglas has to say about it. Takeover talk at Newcastle United is, is absolutely nothing new, uh, especially in the, the case of Mike Ashley. I, I remember a few years ago, uh, 2009, um, they went as far as to actually employ a, an outside agent. It was Keith Harris, I believe, um, who went to try and source interest in Newcastle United. He, he managed to source plenty of interest, but then the problem uh, emerged when it came to actually dealing with Mike Ashley. There wasn't necessarily, I don't think, a conviction at, at the time for Mike Ashley to sell. It feels different this time. Uh, it feels as if Mike Ashley is ready to sell if there's somebody out there who wants to buy, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that he'll have been sitting back and sort of uh, paying attention to what's what's gone on there over the last few weeks uh, uh, with a sort of wry smile himself. He's in the driving seat it's his club um, there's a huge bumper TV deal to come and he's still uh, 100% in control of Newcastle United so in terms of actually Newcastle United being any further to having a new owner I don't think necessarily we're uh, we're that close to that you know the chances are I still think probably I would favour Mike Ashley still being in charge at the end of the season um, unless something dramatic happens in the next uh, in the next few weeks and months which we are a little bit further along to because there have been non-disclosure agreements signed um, and the presence of Amanda Staveley at the weekend, while she's not yet involved in any Newcastle United takeover talks, felt a little bit more significant because uh, obviously she has been on record in the past saying that she wants uh, she wants to take over a Premier League club. She met Rafa Benitez, um, but she wasn't a guest of Newcastle United. She didn't get the tickets from Newcastle United, which is which is kind of key as well. There's probably a little bit of fun and games going on either side, but Mike Ashley really uh, will just be sitting back and uh, and quite happily sort of waiting for an offer of which as yet there hasn't been one. So, how uh, significant was what happened at the weekend? Well. It was obviously interesting, but I think in terms of taking us further towards a new owner for Newcastle United, I think we're still um, a little bit of a distance away from that. So, I mean, there you have it, Christian and Mark, clearly seeing that. He, I mean, his opinion is that it does feel a bit different in a manner of being there, part, uh, looking at the last time Newcastle were linked to certain buyers. But at the same time, he's saying, well, actually, he might actually probably going to be at the end of the season. It is a difficult one because there's a lot of money obviously riding on it. If you stay in the Premier League, you know, it's like, what, guaranteed 100 million. So, big decision for Mike Ashton. 
It is. I personally see that Magassi will probably want to wait until the next TV deal comes out. It's widely expected it's going to be higher than it's been before. Therefore, the price of any football club is likely to be higher. Also, at the end of this, if you can keep Newcastle up this season, they then become a Premier League club again, as in that's their position secure. It's probably likely to be at the end of the season you're going to get more money. But it just depends how much how keen he is to sell. We know Justin Barnes is there. He's supposedly ready in the club for a sale, making sure the costs don't spiral. There has been a lot of movement that behind the scenes to basically prepare the club to be offloaded if possible. There's no longer the denials from people within the club that, that Mike Ashley is willing to sell it. There also wasn't the denials that he essentially slashed the price, as, as was the reports last week, and there was no disclaimers from that on the club. They basically didn't disagree with that. So I think that, that Ashley has a If someone came to Ashley with a, with a definitive offer, he has a decision to make. Does he want to sell, or is he will? Does he believe he has a strong enough hand to play to wait until next summer? Clearly, there's, there's at least two groups, probably more, who've signed non-disclosure agreements. We know that, but whether that means an offer follows afterwards is another matter entirely. There's been interest in, in East Asia. There's been interest in the Middle East. There's been interest in the USA. Amanda Stavely being there, albeit she hasn't officially con- she hasn't contacted Ashley. She hasn't contacted anybody at the club. To register an interest, but that was certainly interesting. She has been widely reported to want to buy a club. She's been linked to Spurs in the past, Liverpool heavily. She's a Liverpool fan, but the fact that she was there at St James's Park, the fact she was seen with some people close to Benitez, I think shows that there's at least one side trying to play towards her. Whether that be that some people, some people are trying to convince her to buy Newcastle, or whether she is generally thinking about hopefully becoming involved at some stage it seems like a positive we're still at the very early stages but it certainly does feel different now under Mike Ashley and has in the past the denials have gone I personally don't see him sell I think that he would quite like to sell just a share rather than the full club that's the way that a lot of his uh, business portfolio works he doesn't necessarily own a full amount in anything but the fact that he's got the deal already with all the merchandising and things like that, I think he'd quite like Sports Direct to, to stay involved in some way. This is all just my supposition. There's no basis to this other than my supposition, but that that is what I see to be likely to be the case. But again, it depends what offers come his way, and at the moment, there's no concrete offers on the table. And obviously, Sean, you covered the fan reaction, and obviously, when uh, the word got around that you know Manus Stavely was in the crowd, the, the reaction was as expected, really. Well, yeah, I mean, I think from a Newcastle fan's point of view. As long as a potential investor comes in and backs Benitez, then they're going to be happy either way. I think that obviously the big criticism of Mike Ashley the last two windows is that he hasn't backed Benitez, but Benitez has obviously publicly called him out on that and it's caused great frustration. And to be honest, it, it did have a detrimental effect on Newcastle at the start of the season. Luckily, it's turned around in Newcastle's favour and they're starting a little bit more comfortable now, but it was a big gamble not to invest in the areas that Benitez identified. They wanted a new forward, didn't get one. They wanted a new keeper, didn't get one. And as I say, they took a massive gamble in, in doing so and going in with the, the squad that they have. Uh, I think Benitez will keep them up this season. He'll stay till the end of the season. If Mike Ashley's still there and there's there's not the promise of investment, will he stay? Probably not. And that's that's going to be a cause of great frustration for Newcastle fans, the players, and I mean the whole club, the whole club alike. Um, 
So as I say, the potential investor comes in, backs Benitez, gives them the budget he wants, they, they identify the, the positions they want next season, they improve in those, those positions, I think the fans will be happy. And I think that's all the fans are asking for, for Benitez to be backed. We've got a world-class manager in place, let's not blow this chance that could create something really special in the coming years. And Chris, I mean, you mentioned their potential investors, not you know pure action by the club, right? We've seen in Everton, okay, right now it's not going quite a plan, but... Ferd Mushiri, I got the right machine. Came in and bought, yeah, bought a share. <laughs> bought the, you know, Bill Kenwright, who obviously, you know, Bill Kenwright, Everton fan, been in charge for a long time, but didn't have the capital that you know that this guy's got. And he, you know, this guy's a billionaire. He's come in and he's back cumin again. Hasn't gone quite a plan, but it shows it can work. You know, someone can come in and they can work together and they can they can give the manager the budget he wants. Yeah, very few takeovers now are, are full outright takeovers. It seems that the, the trend has been over the last few years, somewhere between 20 and 60% of the club gets sold and then further investment follows on top of that. Uh, Man City even sold a share in 2015, I think it was, to, to a chinese back consortium came in there. With Atletico Madrid, have also got a similar thing with Chinese investment. You've got it at Southampton, Crystal Palace with American... Uh, investors and and the way that that would work, it could potentially. It seems to work in a lot of other clubs, as you see in Everton. Yes, it hasn't worked in terms of on the field yet, but they certainly have had backing financially over the last three windows. Uh, they managed to to lure Ronald Koeman from Southampton, even though he seemed reluctant in the first place. And I know, albeit now, his position seems under pressure, but. It's something which I think Ashley would certainly be open to. He could almost have the benefits of owning Newcastle without the issues of, of, of owning them outright in terms of he wouldn't be directly responsible for who the manager is and he wouldn't be the only focus of the fans and whatnot. And what he seemed to want over the last few years is a more hands-off approach towards it. He wants someone else to basically run him for it and then take the benefits from that. If he had a significant investor who was going to come and back Rafa Benitez and, and make sure that the Newcastle did invest in the squad, invest in infrastructure, because I think that's what Newcastle really need to do going forward, then I think Mike Ashley would be more than open to working in that sort of framework. But, you know, we all know Mike Ashley likes to be in control. You know, he said he's, he's stepping back and then he's back into the fold and, and, you know, problems have apparently risen because he has decided that actually he doesn't want to run the club like that anymore. Can you honestly see Mike Ashley actually taking a step back and, and, and staying, you know, in the, in the background? Well, I suppose that's the £380 million question or whatever it is he wants. Um, part of me says no in the, the sense that, as you say, he always seems to come back and get involved. But if he was to take on a significant investor who would be taking either a large minority stake or, stake or even a majority stake, he really wouldn't have an alternative in the matter. If he's going to accept the money, if he's going to accept them coming in, and the fact is that if, if if within the agreement, say, and this is all complete hypothetical, say if within the agreement he was told that you get a certain amount of of the retail uh, money would come would go towards you towards Sports Direct, if you would get a certain number of if you if there was dividends you'd get a certain amount of that and whatnot, and I think that that Mike Ashley would be in some ways open to that. It's how he runs a lot of his other businesses. He doesn't own outright basically any of them although he has a large stake in a lot of them, and I think that the fact that he's, he started going to Debenhams, he started going to a lot of companies like that, 
he has a lot of interest beyond Newcastle United and Newcastle United consumes him more than he would like to. He always seems to get back involved just because of the sheer sums of money that are involved in running a football club and I think he wants someone like, and I'm not saying that the man saved is interested, but someone like that who clearly has worked within football before, has the connections to work within football and therefore it's not going to be someone coming in who's completely new to the idea of running a football club. I mean, Sean, to a potential investor who's got you know, very deep pockets. Newcastle United does look like a very good club to buy. Great fan base, great stadium, the setup's all there. It, it, surely it's a, a no-brainer. Well, that's what you're thinking. As we were saying before, everything's already there. They've got a good academy set up. And I think it's one of the things Ashley said he wants to improve as well. So if a new investor comes in, that could be one of the main priorities. Um, but yeah, as you say, everything's already already in place. Newcastle United could be could be a European club for years to come if it's managed correctly and it's backed correctly. Because you say the fan base is there, the, the merchandise sales. I mean, I'm just speculating here, but I imagine will be quite high anyway. And they won't need much more pushing on that front. Um, you've got a world class manager in place. You've got the basis of a good Premier League team. It just needs a few sprinklings around the edge to improve it further. And uh, from my point of view, I don't see why there hasn't been investment beforehand or any interest this is Acast Recommends every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love hello I'm Jeff Lloyd and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband a baby podcast that is it's a spin-off of our show Reasons to be Cheerful it's called Cheerful Book Club and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Major interest like beforehand because, as you say, everything's there for a club to. If you want a project that you want to improve a club from one position, take it to the next level. Newcastle's the perfect club, really, in England to do so. I mean, Chris, it's not going to happen overnight, though, is it? It's not going to happen, say, in the international break that we're in now. You know, Mike Ashley will be owner when we come back to face Southampton. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to take a fair few months just to get to a stage where you know we could probably say, yep, yeah, someone is deadly interested. I very much suspect so. Although the the one counter I would say that is that when takeovers or investments do happen, the, when they do actually happen in the end, they tend to just be like that. It tends to just happen instantaneously. It happened when Meg actually bought the club in the first place. It happened when Man City was bought out. So very rarely when you hear of a name of an organisation or a consortium early, do you do you find that it ever turns out into something concrete in the end? Usually, it's quite a, it's usually quite far advanced into the negotiations before we get there. As far as any of us are aware, and as we understand, that's not where Newcastle United are at this stage. So, I would very much suspect that when Newcastle travel to Southampton a week on Sunday, that Mike Ashley is still going to be the owner. But if and when that does change or the situation changes whereby an investor comes in I think things will move swiftly and I think that they, you'll get a lot of news very quickly Good news well we will get on to internationals now obviously like I say it is the international break it's that time of the year again you know what it doesn't seem that long since the last one it's only a few, um, few weeks yeah and you can see get a lot early on we're huge fans of it 
But um, you know, you've got some players involved. You know, Kieran Clark, Rob Elliott. Um, you know, it, it is a good chance to see the players work um, on a you know not a, not a, not a bigger scale, but on a sorry bigger stage, but on a you know in a, in a different team on a different manager. It's good to see them take on different opponents, and it's good to see them get a workout. Yeah, and some players seem to excel on this stage. Mitrovic in the last twelve to eighteen months on the international scene has, has done very well, and he needs to do that again because. He wasn't even on the bench at the weekend, even though he's back <coughs> from suspension. Um, and if he can, if he can grab a couple of goals, albeit Hosley scored the weekend, he'll believe that Mitrovic can force his way back into Rafa's plans. I think he's going to have to show that he has the discipline to do that. He's, he's got a lot of making up to do on that front, but in national scene is where he seems to thrive. Um, Q and Clark and Rob Elliott certainly have uh, hopes that they qualify for the World Cup next year. Uh, Ireland are in a tight tight group there with, with Wales although Wales have been hit with the news that Gareth Bale is not available I think is that right yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right so so they've got they've got an opportunity there Chance and Bemba away with the Democratic Republic of Congo doesn't look like they'll qualify but he's done very well in the international scene even captains them um, and he, he again was left out of the squad the weekend so he's got a point to prove so for for some players it's a concern for someone like Mikel Reno, even though he's playing very well there. The one concern is he's going to go away and get injured, and that's not what Newcastle want or need at all. They've been hit with a bit of bad luck in that in the past with the likes of Kroll, Elliott, and, and even Mbemba last time around. But for others like Mbemba, like Mitrovic, it offers them the opportunity to get some game time, and hopefully that will in turn aid Newcastle in the Premier League because it'll, it'll get them some game time, get them some confidence and f- some form, and they can push on the players who are in the team or even force the way that the team themselves. I mean, sure, it must be a nightmare if you're Rafa Benitez and you're, you're sitting there and you're watching your, some of your best players go off on international duty. I mean, you must be sitting there just praying and hoping that they do come back unscathed. Yeah, I mean, it must be the most horrendous time of the year for, for club managers seeing their players on international duty, knowing there's no control, knowing that they could come back with a serious injury. As we said with Rob Elliott, Tim Crew, we've seen in the past that it's happened to Newcastle. Touch what it won't happen this time. I think with this particular national break, it, it could end up being a good thing, especially if players come back having secured World Cup qualification with the countries. You look at like DeAndre Yedlin, Mitrovic, they look like they're going to qualify for the World Cup, but by the time they return from the Southampton game, they could, they could come back in the spring in their step. Um, conversely, if they come back from a huge disappointment, which what could happen to the likes of the Republic of Ireland, as you say. It looks like it's going to come down to a game against Wales where the, the loser will be out, the winner will go through the playoffs. So if they end up on the wrong side of that result, it could have a detrimental effect, they could come back. And I mean, this is pure speculation, but it, it could have a lasting effect on the confidence. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a double-edged sword, I suppose, the international break. And Chris, what what do club managers do? What will Rafa Benitez be doing this week? Obviously, no game this weekend. Um, obviously, you're probably watching some of the games that his players are involved in. But for those that aren't you know away with their countries and what, what happens at the training ground you think? Well for the first few days it tends to be similar just training uh, the players who haven't gone away will come in they'll have been on Monday uh, it was a warm down session after the game from the, for the players who played on against Liverpool then there's a few days worth of training where the players come in they have uh, similar they're preparing already for Southampton and going forward and there's also more general uh, conditioning and also general I'd, in terms of Rafael have identified some tactical and technical issues so far this season which between game to game is more difficult 
to sort out but when you have that extra time when there isn't the pressure of a game this weekend could sort a few of them out then later on the week the players have a bit of time off I know the likes of Jose Perez will go back to Tenerife for a bit a few of the other players might pop home if they live on the continent or live in other parts of Britain pop home for a couple of days off bit of refreshing bit of sun for some of them and then they'll be back early next week back on the training ground uh, Rafael have been working the whole time uh, coming up with a plan for, for Southampton and beyond and then over the course of next week the internationals will slowly come back into the fold and they then get introduced into the training plan which has already been uh, initiated it, it's interesting Rafa because last season we saw a lot of team selection for the game immediately after international weekend was based on the players we had on Tyneside and that was partly due to condition because there'd be so many games before so many more games in the championship but also because he'd had two weeks to, to work with players for a specific game plan. We didn't necessarily see with them that with them last time around. Marino came straight back into the team, even though Shelby's available away at Swansea. But with Marino having gone away, with Marino having played a lot of football, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see John Joe Shelby and Isaac Hayden, albeit the fact that, that Shelby and Marino played well together, at Southampton the following week, just as an example, or at full-back, uh, instead of DeAndre Yedlin, Javier Manquillo possibly play it right back because Yedlin's got such a, a way to travel. Benitez likes to protect his players. Atsu didn't start away at Swansea because he'd been away with Ghana and done a lot of travelling. Jacob Murphy came at the team. So I think we might see a couple of changes in that sense. And someone like Jacob Murphy, Rafa will be working with very closely over the next fortnight. And Sean, obviously, England-wise, um, a lot of people are surprised that Harry Wings got the, the call-up instead of John Joe Shelby with, obviously, all the injuries that have gone on and uh, you know people are also maybe looking at Jake Livermore and thinking how is he in the side but I mean John Joe Shelley's probably only got himself to blame he's admitted after the game there against Liverpool that you know he, he's, he made a mistake you know and he, he needs to learn and he, he hopes he you know repaid the, his teammates faith but if he maybe carried on playing in, in all the games that we've seen this season he could have been the man to replace uh, yeah, of course, and I think if he gets a run of games between now and the November national fixtures, I think he might force his way into the side. You can understand the gripes with Harry Winks getting caught with the international setup when you actually look at it, look at it from a different point of view. Um, you see, only had four Premier League starts. Nathaniel Chalobah has had a handful of starts. I think it's less than ten so far. I mean, even when he's been, he's been in Chelsea for years, both have made it into the national setup. Gareth Southgate likes to promote from within. He likes to. Say at the under twenty one lines, if you perform on the international stage, we'll give you a chance. And I think it was more convenient to be honest. Like he's called up Harry Winks, he's already in the under twenty one setup. He's already already among some of the senior lads at St George's Park. Um, Shelby wouldn't have if you're being realistic about it. Probably doesn't deserve to be in the in the squad at the minute. He's only started two games. He played very well at the weekend. Um, but so I mean, Southgate's based his thinking on what he's seen from the start of the season until now, and Shelby's only started one game before the Liverpool game, and he got sent off for stupidity. Um, can Southgate trust him? We don't know. He seems like he's got a midfield, particularly a lot of his midfielders. A lot of Henderson, Livermore, Fabian Delphi was in the squad. Oxford Chamberlain, if he plays in central midfield, they're all workmanlike midfielders. Shelby offers something different. Um, you were, you were listening to Graham Souness and Jamie Carey after the game. They're saying that he, he always, he's always brave in the ball. He always wants the ball. He always tries to have that killer pass. None of the England midfielders necessarily have that in their locker. And Shelby can offer that something different. If he can prove his worth between now and November and between now and the end of the season, there's no reason why he can't be in the World Cup squad um, next to Russia. I mean, he said at the start of the pre-season that that was his aim. That's why he did the 
the pre-season fitness regime before he even came back with the rest of the squad in July and as you say, his own stupidity's cost him for now. Hopefully he can rework his way back into the setup. and I think if he has a good run of games, he, he can do that. Do you share that sentiment, Chris? I do, yes. I think that one complicating factor Shelby has, uh, perhaps unfairly, although you could argue otherwise, is, is, is the, the issue with the alleged racism last season. I think that does count against him to a certain extent. I think that England uh, have got, and the FA have so many issues at the moment with publicity and, and, and they've had so many cock-ups that th- they will be reluctant and that will unfortunately count against Shelby, although it should be, in my opinion, based on what he does on the pitch. Um, and hopefully he's going to make a, hopefully he can make a compelling case over the next three to six months, as Sean says, and force his way in the England squad. If he keeps playing well, there's a dearth of, of players. I think Southgate called with 30% of, of, of English players of players in the Premier League were English who started the other week um, he's, he's already admitted that there's players in the squad who probably don't deserve to be there so if he can if he can force his way into the Newcastle side again week in week out make a compelling case hopefully any side issues will just be swept under the carpet and they'll say look John Joe you can really offer England something different and you will be in the squad and we know our colleague Craig Johns touted Jamal Lascelles thing call up not necessarily obviously in this international break but he said there's no reason why he can't get in you know over the next few months and you know he's, he's arguably right in the cells has been something of a well to me anyway a bit of a surprise in the, in the opening games obviously he was helped by Lejeune's injury you know Lejeune are very very good and for Lascelles has come in and he's he's given Benitez a positive selection Eric Sean he's, he's played well hasn't he and you, you can't argue that he's, he's excelled so far this season he's been one of Newcastle's best players um, I think centre half is position in England. They, they've, they've given young players a chance. If you look, Ben Gibson was called up last summer. He's playing in the Championship now, so you'd argue the sales is probably higher in the pecking order than him. Uh, Michael Keane's proven himself. Obviously, he's got his move to Everton now, so he's probably going to be more of a, a regular selection in there. Harry Maguire's been called up. Um, I mean, Stan Stan Collymore was touting the sales as well. It wasn't just wasn't just Craig. <laughs> Nothing against Craig, but um, but Stan Collymore was saying how he's how how he's a leader and he's he's a, he's a different mould to other defenders in the modern game, and he's still only twenty three. There's plenty of room for him to improve. Um, I don't think he's at the level of England international yet, but as you say, the potential's there. He's got the leadership qualities, and Collymore even suggested that he could he could become rather neat as a Steven Gerrard in terms of managing the dressing room and making sure the players are right and managing the mood and stuff like that and. He's got the qualities to be an international. He could blossom into that yet, and there's a there's a chance for him to get there. Um, I don't think he'll force his way into the squad for the World Cup, but there's plenty of as I say, there'll be plenty of opportunities between now and then where he might get that chance. I mean, I mean, sure, like you forget just how young Jamal Lasalle is. You know, great leadership when he is on form, which he has been since he kind of took Lejeune's place. He does look like a very, very, very good centre back. I've been very impressed with him this season. There was times last season where he was. This is this is no slight on last season because I thought he was excellent for large parts, particularly leadership wise. Him and Kieran Clark formed a great partnership at centre back. But there was there was a couple of times where he did worry for him, and he wouldn't wondered if he made the step of the Premier League if he'd be exposed a little bit. But he's really matured both on and off the pitch. You speak to him now, and he has taken on the leadership mantle, and he's grown into the role. He understands the role. He understands that not only is he 
the leader on the pitch he also has to speak well off it he has to it's not just about passion as it is he showed when Newcastle went down which is what almost got him into Rafa Benitez's thinking in the first place he also understands that it's it's more of a role than that there's a you are responsible you also have to to speak for your teammates you need to lift them in the right time you need to call them out at the right time you need to praise them at the right time and you need to keep a level head at the right time and he's done that I agree with Sean I actually think there is no reason why he can't go the work I don't think he's at that level yet I don't think he is has shown enough to be in the England squad consistently but then again I'm basing that on the fact that probably about 10 years ago when international recognition was a lot harder to come by I think if you actually look at some of the players who are getting called up to the squad at centre-back, I would say he's in the top four centre-back, English centre-backs playing regularly at the moment. I'm quite glad he hasn't been called up the England squad from a Newcastle point of view. I think it's better for him that he stays. He continues to work with Rafa, gets better at his game, and I think it could potentially prove a distraction if he does. The longer he gets ignored by England in that sense, the better for Newcastle. I'm sure the sells himself wants a call-up, and if he does, all the best of luck to him. But... I don't think I don't think Newcastle fans are necessarily pushing him for England because I don't think it's in his best interest in their best interest to do that. I think for now, just let him continue to get better and improve both on and off the pitch. I mean, you mentioned there the improvements from from last season when he was very good to to this season where he's been excellent. What's that down? Is that down to Benitez taking aside and giving him a little bit of extra tips, or Benitez's you know coaching staff? Helping them through. I mean, or is it? What do you think? It's a mixture of. It is down to them to a certain degree, but I think that also takes a little bit of credit away from him himself. I think he's put a hell of a lot of hard work into it, and he continues to do so. He keeps getting better. He always asks for more advice. What Benitez likes is he likes players who don't question his method, but but also always asks why he wants them to do something. He doesn't want footballers to just. He doesn't just want a squad to just follow his lead precisely just because he says to do it he wants them to understand why they do it so he wants questions back he wants uh, Jamal Lascelles to give his opinion on the team and give his opinion on, on things that are going on he wants Jamal Lascelles to tell him where he thinks he can improve where he thinks he's doing well and I think we've seen what's really when he's talked about um that he wants to score more goals and he said hey, look I've scored a couple but I think I should be scoring more and he's talked about uh, different defensive systems he says Zonal Martin can be exploited and I think he's totally right in that sense he, he, he's clearly he is learning from Benitez he's learning tactically he's learning technically and he's, he's learning off his teammates him and Q and Clark balance each other very well and I think that, that it, it's it's down to, to a combination of, of a lot of people a lot of people who work closely with, with the cells, including Benitez as coach staff but primarily down to the cells himself really working hard to make sure he does keep getting better. Would you say Florian Lejeune's arrivals helped as well? Do you think about last season, the Sells and Clark were just the staple centre-half partnership, wasn't it? He didn't fancy Mbemba at all for a large period of the season. And we'd no disrespect to Grant Hamley, but he wasn't quite on the level of the Sells and Clark. And Lejeune started the first game of the season, and the Sells kind of gave him something to think about, something to improve upon and kind of thrive on the competition. I think that's a very good point, yeah. It, is, it certainly is true. He wasn't... In Rafa Benitez's original eleven to start the season against Spurs, and what was a huge game. Yes, he had had a, a slight injury during pre-season, but he was also fit by that stage and couldn't necessarily get back into the team. And he did, he did have a point of proving that, and, and, and he certainly taken that on board. Lejeune being there, who, who looks like he could be a very good player in his own right, has pushed Lascelles and Clark on onto another level again. 
And that's what Benitez always likes. He likes healthy competition. He said that he sat down and spoke to Lascelles about it at the start of the season. And he liked Lascelles' response as well. Lascelles realised that, right, well, I'm going to have to prove that I deserve to be in the team. That's what Benitez wants in every position. And Lascelles is certainly buying into that. And I agree. I think it's a very good point that Lejeune coming in has helped with that. And that's why Rafa wanted another striker in the summer. He wanted another goalkeeper. He wanted that competition in every position to keep pushing itself forward. Thankfully, Newcastle seem to have that at centre-back. It'll be nice to think that over the next couple of windows they're going to get it all over the pitch. Definitely. Um, I mean, to wrap up, we'll do a bit of trivia because we all know Sean fancies himself as a bit of a trivia king. Can you name, both of you, can you name the last five Newcastle United players to be called up to an England squad? To play or just be called up? Uh, to just be called up. Jack Colback. Andros Townsend. Andres Townsend. Well, Jack Colback definitely was called up, so yeah. it must be actually yeah, played. It must be actually played. Well, <laughs> yeah. we'll edit this out. Well, Townsend. Townsend. <laughs> um, Taylor, well, Taylor didn't count, because Taylor didn't play. <coughs> yeah. uh, Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll. Um, then you'd probably go further back. Uh, Michael Owen. Michael Owen. And then there's even further back. Even further back. 16th of November 2006. Six. Scott Parker. Scott Parker was October 11, 2006, so there's one in between. Jermaine Genius, no, it'll be after that. Um, so, um, against Austria. Austria. 2006. Philip Neal. Uh, um, no, it wouldn't be Amber. Um, <laughs> like, like a countdown clock. Back, yeah. No, just keep shouting out random names. I'm sure the listeners will be <laughs> loving that. Are we, are we giving up? No, uh, give, give, give us a position. Uh, kind of forward, tagging the field, then kind of switched as he got older. Switch. Okay, I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna just go through the name in there. Alan Smith. There you go. If you've got any trivia questions for Sean and Chris to get wrong, um, don't <laughs> hesitate to send them in. We'll be back next week um, with John Gibson. Hopefully, we're going to do a special podcast on the worst Newcastle United Premier League side um, to follow on from the best Premier League side that we did a couple of months back. Which, of course, you can still listen to, um, you know, through iTunes, Spotify, and Audio Boom. Uh, head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to get all the latest Newcastle United news and like I said we'll be back next week so uh, yeah thank you very much for joining us Hi there it's Caroline Foran from Owning It the Anxiety Podcast and this is a Staycast from Acast please 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 do follow the government's advice right now which is currently to stay at home where possible the sooner we all get on board with these measures the sooner we will be all together again While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts.